Good morning, everyone. Well, we've reached the end of our journey. Last week, we ended at step 67. That means we only have 10 to cover today. But there are a lot of stories in that 10 steps, so we're going to try to uh, pack a lot into today. But where we're headed, I'm going to need everybody to have one of these connection cards. Now, I know that if you've been coming a while, you come in, you think, I don't need that connection card. I've seen it. I know what it is. Well, today you're wrong. You needed it. So I've got them. So I'm going to need some help. Vlad, would you help me here? And hand those out to anybody who doesn't have them, which probably means everybody. And there's pens there too. Paul, while you're standing up, why don't you grab half of them and take this side of the room? Because I'm sure 90% of us don't have them. And as you get that, you'll see why. If you look at the notes section, there's plenty of places for you to take notes still, but there's a statement at the bottom. I want you to go ahead and look at that because that's where we're headed today. It says, with God's help, I will commit to read the Bible for the next 30 days. Now, I believe that you, if you do something for 30 days, it, it's going to turn into a habit anyway. So my goal is that you get in the habit of reading the Bible. Now, some of you, if not most of you, already do that. But I still want you to look at this challenge as a refreshing commitment to reading God's Word and knowing the importance of it. Because what we've done um, the last five Sundays that I've done the, the walkthrough, it's been fun. I had a lot of good stories, a lot of good information. But if it ends here, then... It really didn't accomplish what I wanted it to do. Because I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, to just give out a lot of facts and tell you a good story. And then you go home and then you go back to the, the way things were. And go through your week. Then come back on Sunday and we go through this again. What I'm really wanting you to do is see the importance, the significance of the Bible as a whole. Especially what we're focusing in on is the New Testament. Because you remember when Moses went before the people with the Ten Commandments, that was how they were to build their society. That's how they were to live together. When Moses came to the end of his life, he said, what do I need to tell him? I'll go back to the same thing. And he did the second law, which was really just a retelling of the Ten Commandments. It's so important. And too many times, we just take those things for granted. So I don't want you to do that. Because... Reading the Bible can transform your life. It's not like any other book. The words in there are from God himself, and as he brings them into your life, it can reach you where you are and the specific things you're dealing with. And the great thing about it, I can read that same word, and I'm in a whole different situation than you are, but it speaks to me in my life and helps me through that. And anything that we're looking for and help and guidance if we'll look to the Word, we'll find it. And if we follow it, it'll help us out. There's a product that I've used before. Once it didn't work too well, the second time it did. First time I bought it, it didn't have this little red tag on it. Second time I got it, and the reason I got it, because it didn't work the first time, why would you go back and buy it again if it didn't work? Well, it was this little tag that made me do it. This little tag was hanging on that product. And let me just read it to you, word for word, as 
the, the, whoever made this product wanted you to know as you were going to use it. And it just starts off with failure. Well, that caught my eye because when I used it last time, that's what it was. It, it failed on me. But it says, this product is only effective if you read the instructions thoroughly. Failure to, now this is where it really, I mean, I don't know who did the marketing on this, but it's really good. All right, that first statement is good enough. But how many of us already know that, right? We know that. If we don't read instructions thoroughly, we might not get everything we need to do. So he goes on to say, failure to do so will result in your moaning and groaning that the product doesn't work and generally being a pain in the bottom. That's what it says right there. Make a positive change in your life, will you, and read the instructions. So I took that to heart. I read the instructions, followed it. Well, you know, the product works. You've got the instructions to life in front of you. We probably have two or three copies, if not more, in our houses. We have it on our digital phones and our pads. Everything, we can have it at, at a moment's notice. But when we're going through struggles and trials and we just need some guidance, we need some help, where do we go? Do we think to go to the Bible? Well, maybe not because we don't. I pick it up, but where is it that I need to be reading? But if you get comfortable with it and you know about these stories and you see how these stories have, have helped other people, and these are real-life stories, but they mean something to us today, then you'll be comfortable when you have troubles to know where to go. I'm not one for really opening up the Bible and pointing the finger and saying, this is where God wants me to read today. But I don't think that's maybe a bad, bad idea because you're going to find something good in there wherever you read. Now, there's some, some struggles we'll run into with the, with the lineage of everybody and going who begat who. But still, even in that, when we learn about what the begats really mean and who had who as a son, who had a son, who had a son, how important that is, you'll find out that what we're going through in the Old Testament was the plan for God all along to have Adam have a son who had a son who had a son who would make it all the way down to his son, Jesus Christ. He had to have a human lineage. And if we don't have that, at any time that that lineage is broken, then God's plan for all of us is thwarted. It's no good. But God protected that all the way through. When we read the, New the Old Testament, we find that that's why the New Testament is possible. So, we're taking this journey, this long journey, 77 steps through the Old Testament. Now, if you haven't been here, some of this isn't going to make sense. It's going to look silly to you. But as we go through it, you're going to realize how important it is to help us memorize it. Now, memorizing the 77 steps was not my goal for you. I hope you will, and I hope you'll, you've learned something through this. And if you've been here each week, then maybe you, you do know it, and you could do it with me. I'm not going to ask you to come up here on stage with me. But some of you do know the whole thing. We'll go through the whole thing today. But that's not my key. What I want you to do is read the Bible. So when we finish up in about a half hour, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment. So on this card, there's two parts to it. Slide told you how to tear it off. The part where it's got your name, if you're going to commit to this, I'm going to ask you to write your name on that. You don't have to fill in all the address and everything. Just your name. Don't do it now. Let's wait and... and the end, and if you really want to make a commitment to do that, I want you to put your name on that. The other side is for you, that you would take it home, maybe even sign that part and date it, and put it somewhere 
that you'll see it every day to remind you that you've committed to read the Bible for the next 30 days. So that's where we're headed. Now, when you do that and you make that commitment, I believe there's something that seals a commitment when you get up and take a step. So I'm going to ask you to come and just lay it on this stage anywhere along the side here. That when you're going to commit to do that, that I'll just say that in front of this group, I'm going to commit to read the Bible for the next 30 days. So I wanted you to know that's where we're headed, all right? But we've got 10 steps to get there. You remember where we finished up? Last week, we talked about the uh, north and the south, the divided kingdom, and we ended up with where the prophet speaks. Now, I don't think I gave you that hand sign, so let's get up to that where um, this is what we're doing. This is my mouth, and these are the prophet's mouth. So we're just going to say, prophets speak, and remember what their message was? Shake up or ship out. All right, so put those two together. Prophets speak, shape up, or ship out. Now, I'm pointing to two locations on the map. Pointing, pointing to the northern kingdom and to a town over here. From, from the, here until the end of our, our journey, several powers are going to come into play. They're going to uh, rise and take over power, and then another nation's going to rise, take them over, and be the leaders of that time. We'll do this three times. And so since we have three sets of doors here, that's where we're going to point to, all right? So this first one is going to be Assyria. The second door set is going to be Babylonia. The third is Persia. These are the three nations that rise to power during this time. And so it's Assyria, Babylonia, and Persia. Now we're going to talk about what their military strategy was when they took over a, a country. So there's something that goes with them, but all you have to remember is your ABPs. All right, can you do that? Assyria, Babylonia, and Persia. Now, when we get there, I'm going to tell you which nation they took over, what happened, and uh, what they did. So here we go. What we've got now, the prophets just speak, and they did shape up or ship out. So we're going to point to Assyria. What's the name of the northern kingdom? Here's a test for you. Israel, good, Israel. So it's Assyria, Israel, and what they're... Uh, uh, military plan was when they gathered the people to uh, took over a nation they would gather them and then spread them out to different locations to keep them from rebelling against them they thought if you're not in your if you're not in your home location and you're spread out and you don't have all of you together you're less likely to take us over and rebel so what their military strategy was to was to scatter people so we'll say Assyria Israel scatter Right, so that's what we're going to take it. Uh, we pick them up and just scatter them around. So say that with me. Assyria, Israel, scattered. Assyria was there for a, a short while. Israel, in this period of time that lasted, the northern kingdom didn't last so long. And the main reason was because the number of good kings they had. You remember how many good kings the, the north had? They had 19 kings. How many were good? Zero. Zero out of 19 kings. So they didn't last near as long as the southern kingdom. So Assyria, Israel scattered. But after Assyria, Babylonia came to power. And you folks down in the south, you've kind of felt like, we've got it made. You know, we're doing all right. We have how many kings were in the, in the southern kingdom? 20 kings down here. How many were good? Eight. So we had eight. Eight good kings. We're doing so much better than those northern people. So you're feeling good about yourselves. There can come a problem when you start feeling good about yourself. When you get complacent, when you get thinking that things are okay, you go for a while and then 
you lose sight of what you're supposed to be. And when the prophets were speaking shape up or ship out, it's pretty easy to see the northern kingdom that they were going to ship out. But for the southern kingdom, even with those eight good kings, there was a period of time that they just forgot all about God. And so the rise of Babylonia came, and they wanted to take over all the area, not just the northern part, they wanted the southern. So they came and just scooped Judah up. So we've got Babylonia, Judah, and what their military strategy was, was to bring them into exile, take them out of their home country and bring the best, the finest, what they did. They didn't take everybody, but they took the best of Judah, pulled them out of that country and brought them to their, their hometown in Babylonia. So we've got Babylonia, Judah, exile. Now, how long do you think the exile lasted? 70 years. Some of you are smart. You're supposed to say 400 years because everything else has been 400 years. No, it's 70. So this is our shortest period of time, 70 years. So the exile lasted 70 years. So let's go back to Assyria. What did they do? It's Assyria, Israel, scattered. Babylonia, Judah, exile, 70 years. During those 70 years, there were still some prophets who were speaking during this time and to the people who were in, in exile. And there's some great stories that, that go along during this period of time. Some that you remember from Sunday school. You remember Daniel in the lion's den? You know Shadrach? And Abednego. Yeah, that's right. Shake the bed, make the bed, and the bed we go. So those three guys and Daniel, they were some of the best and brightest of Judah. But Babylonia picked them up and brought them into exile. But during that period, another nation rose up, and that was Persia. Persia. Now, I'm pointing to these different places. Now, remember, these nations that came, they took over all this power. That's just where their, their uh, capitals were. And if you remember, down in Ur, down near the Persian Gulf, that's the property that we're talking about, that fertile crescent, the Tigris and Euphrates, that river, those two rivers, all that land, that fertile crescent that came into this main land here, that's the property we're talking about. And each of those nations wanted that. And Persia now has come to, to power. And while they're in power, Persia, theirs is, okay, we've got you in captivity, but we don't want to be overbearing. You like it here? We like you here. We can benefit from each other. You know, if you want to serve your, your God, that's fine. We got some gods too. You ought to try them out. You know, I like the way you, you have some rules and regulations about your life. Go ahead, try them. But we got some things too that uh, maybe you ought to try out. Maybe you just haven't seen those. You need to try those too. That is probably more, more subtle than the other two. But it's probably the most detrimental. Because when you're scattered and you're off by yourself, you tend to think, what really do I need? All I have is my family that's close to me and my God, and I'm going to hold true to that. If I'm in exile, then they've taken me away from my homeland, but they've got me in captivity. I want to go back. There in Persia, theirs was, just get along with us all. You're fine here. And that's where we find ourselves today. Because this isn't our homeland. As much as I love America, and I would not want to live anywhere else. I like Greer. I'm not going to move anywhere. I like Greer. I like staying here. But this is not my homeland. 
This is not where I belong. I'm different. And what makes me different is, is who my king is. There's only one king who rules my life, and that's God himself. But in this world, they say, okay, go ahead. Serve your king. That's fine. Now, if you want to try something else, go ahead. You want to get along? Want to try the culture? Fit in? That's fine. And too many who are citizens of heaven feel comfortable being citizens of this world. Now, I'm going to be a good citizen of the United States. I'm going to hold true to the Constitution. I'm going to vote when it comes voting day. I am a good citizen here. But not to the detriment. Not to me to turn my back. Not for me to turn away from what I know that being a citizen of heaven really calls for me to do. Because when you go into your workplace, how easy is it for you to take Jesus into where you work? When you go to school, try bringing up a conversation in class about God. In society as a whole, there are times when you know that if you're going to make a statement about your faith and your belief, you're not going to be faced with persecution, but you're going to be faced with rejection, with ridicule. But is it going to be worth it? There were men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others like them that said, we are going to make a stand. We know what we ought to be doing. And it has nothing to do with this good life that you're talking about here in Persia. They had it good. They could have anything they really wanted. Anything to eat and drink was theirs. And they said, no, that's not the way we were taught to live. It's not the way we know is right. And so we're turning away from that. How easy is that for us to do? If you know who your true king is and hold true to him, then you'll stand firm even when it gets difficult. So God saw their plight. He knew that there were some holding true. And everywhere, every story we talked about, we talked about a remnant. Everywhere, even when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, there were two exceptions. Even now, there are exceptions of the ones who have been taken over into exile. And so God looks down on the king of Persia, and he begins to change his heart. And is going to allow them to come back home. Now, how would he do that? Why would he do that? There's a passage in the Old Testament. It says God takes the hearts of the king and he guides them just as he guides the waters of a river wherever he wants them to go. You won't see that in the annals of Persia and as they, as they give their history, but God was putting his hand in their history to make his history come to be. And he allowed for a return. So now that they're in, in Persia, the king of Persia is going to allow them to make a return. There are actually three returns that are going to happen, but we're going to talk about four major people. The easy way to remember this is the word zine. 
Z-E-E-N. Spell that with me. Z-E-E-N. You might know what that means. Good, because it doesn't mean anything. It's not a word. It just helps you remember it, all right? So zine, zine. Those four letters remind us of the four people who are most important at this time. The first, get this, I need a little water to say this name. Excuse me. The first one that's going to lead the return is Zerubbabel. Now you know why I need water. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. They came and ran to him and said, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, we're in trouble. Those city walls are in rubble. We need you there on the double. <laughs> and so Zerubbabel was the first to lead the return back into the homeland. So as they're going to do it, they're going to do the same way Abraham, when we were way back in the beginning, Abraham came around this way. It's the same way we're going to go. We took him into exile that way. We're bringing him back. So we're going to reach down in Persia. And, and uh, from there, um, we're going to bring Judah back. So we'll say Persia. Let me get this right. Judah. We're going to scoop him up again, bring him back around, and say return and drop him back in the southern kingdom. So it's Persia, Judah, return. And then the return start with Zerubbabel. So we're just going to, this is Zerubbabel. We're going to bring him over from Persia. And everybody's got to say that word with me, okay? Zerubbabel. And the first thing that he did was to rebuild the temple. Now, we did this as Mount Sinai. Remember that? So we're going to add a little difference to this and make it a triangle here. And that's going to be our temple. And he rebuilt the temple. So it's Zerubbabel temple. He rebuilt the temple. The next one, our first E, she doesn't lead a return, but she stays in Persia, but she helps this out tremendously. Her name is Esther. So just point to Persia and say, Esther. Now, she becomes queen. So just like we crown the kings, we're going to crown her too. But we'll say, Esther, queen. Now, Esther, the reason her story is so special is because she was a Jew living in the exile in Persia who became queen to the most powerful king on the face of the earth at that time. Now, how could that happen? Only through God's hand. There's a story. You need to read the book of Esther. I won't go into all the details, but the king, in a foolish manner, got rid of his queen. But what is a king without a queen? And so he had what was called the first beauty contest. And he said he wanted the most beautiful queen. So all the young ladies of that day started prettying themselves up. They went to the hairdressers. They went to the makeup artists. They got to the perfumists and get smelling as, as sweet as they could. Everyone except one young lady, Esther. Esther had a natural beauty about her. And because her uncle Mordecai had connections, he could get her into this contest. Well, just to make a long story short here, she rose to the top of the competition, won the heart of the king, and became queen of Persia. What a fitting story on Valentine's Day, right? That this woman would win the heart of the king. It was because of her natural beauty, because of who she was on the inside, too. Because she knew there was a special thing about her that God had given her this opportunity. And there's a, a phrase that her uncle, 
Mordecai tells her that the reason she's there is something special. She has a place. This, there may be a time such as this that you are placed in the kingdom. And there was because she was able to once again save her people. Another chance for Satan to kill off the Jewish nation. But because Esther was queen, she was able to save her people. Great love story. You need to read it. Esther was one of the only two books of the Bible that are named for women. What's the other one? Ruth, one of the exceptions. So we have Ruth and Esther. And the story of hers is even much better of a love story. Um, Bill, do we have that uh, slide up there that has, looks like a house? That's it right there. You see that? This reminds us of the book of Ruth. See, the book is a roof. So it's the book of Ruth. So when you see that, you know, this is the book of Ruth. And you see the hearts and a little Cupid out there. So it's got two stories, right? You've got the first story and then the love story. So that's the key word for the book of Ruth is love story. Now, the guy on the left, that's, that's Boaz. And the lady next to him, that's his baby Ruth. So this love story is one that is so special. And it, 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 it compares to Esther in, in a similar fashion. Actually, maybe in an opposite way. Ruth was from the town of Moab. Remember the, the Israelites settled in Moab for a while? And they took some, um, the men married some Moabite women. Ruth was a Moabite woman. But she took on her fam- that family's um, God and their culture and became really one of those. Even though she was a Gentile, she married into the Jewish nation and felt like she was a big part of that. Esther was a Jew who married a Gentile. But God had plans for both of them. But Ruth was so special because while they were there in Moab, she married a man. Good. Her, uh, there was another, that her husband had a brother and then their father. All three of those men died while they were in Moab. Naomi, her mother-in-law, wanted to go back to Bethlehem, her hometown. Bethlehem sound familiar to you? She wanted to go back to her hometown, and she told her two daughter-in-laws that you can go back to your own hometown, get back with your families, I'll be all right. But Ruth saw something in Naomi and that family that she wanted to be a part of and knew how special it was, and she said, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are now my people. I can't go back. You are my people. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your God will be my God. And she went back to the town of Bethlehem with Naomi. And while there, those two widows, widows had a hard time in those days. No no real way to make a, a living for themselves other than gleaning in the fields behind all the other harvesters. And there was one man, Boaz, who was known as their kinsman redeemer. What that means in this culture, this period of time, they needed someone from their family to take them, take them into their home. Because as two ladies, two widows, they didn't have any real means of support there. So they looked for a kinsman to redeem them out of that. So in doing that, Boaz 
had a large field. She went to glean in the field. He said, you know, I kind of like this lady here. Just go ahead and leave some more. Don't pick everything up. Let her get some of it. And so she found favor in Boaz's eyes. Naomi saw this and realized, hey, here's a good chance. Naomi did a little little uh, matchmaking, told Ruth how to, how to get on more favor with, with Boaz. Long story short here, too, is that Boaz fell in love with Ruth. They got married, had a son named Obed. Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. Jesse had a son whose name was David. King David. That lineage was going to be the lineage that God had protected down through the ages. And he used a Gentile woman from the town of Moab to make all this happen. God is the only one who could orchestrate things like this, to put them all together, to put all the pieces together. But as we're looking at this story, we can see how it all fits together. God's in control. And in doing this, Esther and, and Ruth are both good examples of what God's doing. So we're pointing down there to Persia and just say, Esther, queen. Our next one is Ezra. Ezra is a man's name. And he's going to lead this... Um, lead the next return, and so we'll just say Ezra. And what he rebuilt was the people, the people. The temple was in ruins, but the people were too, and so they needed to be rebuilt. So Ezra rebuilt the people. And then the last one that's still pointing over there in, in Persia, his name is Nehemiah. So we'll bring him all the way around, Nehemiah, and he rebuilt the walls. So we're going to reach down about Nehi. You know, Nehemiah was a short guy. Nehemiah. That's why I call him Nehemiah. And we just raise it, and we'll raise the walls and just say walls. Now, there were some short people in the Bible. You remember them. Who's the shortest person you think that's in the Bible? Zacchaeus, right? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But he wasn't the he wasn't the shortest. You remember Bildad, the shoe height? I mean, he's just that high. But he wasn't the smallest one. The smallest was the Philippian jailer. He fell asleep on his watch. Remember that? So there's some small people. So Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the last one to make the return. And he rebuilt the walls. We rebuilt the temple. We rebuilt the people. And now we're going to rebuild the walls for their protection. So let's go through those four. Zine. Remember Zine? There's four returns. Well, actually three. And then one that we're going to talk about the story there. So it's Zerubbabel, Temple, Esther, Queen, Ezra, people, Nehemiah, walls. And this is where we come to the last of the Old Testament. There's a period of time between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew. You don't just turn the page and that just happens. But what happens is there's a period of time. Guess how long this period of time is? 400 years, right. This 400 years was 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. Could you imagine what that would be like? 400 years when they didn't hear from God, where the prophets were speaking, no more were they speaking. No more were they, were they hearing from God. 
Have you ever had a period in your life like that? When you felt like God was silent? If you ever work with kids, sometimes it's hard to get their attention. And people do it in different ways. Seeing them sometimes they clap their hands and then everybody, if you hear it, clap hands and you clap your hands. Others will raise their hand and if you see them raise your hand, you'll raise your hand. Well, my wife, Laurie, has worked with kids before. And I've watched her get kids' attention, even teenagers' attention. The best way to do it is when you're up in front of a group and you have something to say, if no one's listening to you, there's no need for you to talk. So when that silence, people think, what's going on? Maybe I'm missing something. And they start, and when she was silent in front of those kids, They'd realize, "Uh uh-oh, we better be quiet. She's watching us. We need to pay attention. And that's what God was doing. In the silence, he was getting their attention. And maybe that's what he's doing for you. When you feel like your prayers are not going any higher than the ceiling of your bedroom, you pray and you pray, but you don't hear anything back from God with what's going on. How can God be involved in this? Where is he? Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not busy. Doesn't mean he's working to, not working in the background. There are things that he's doing. He's setting the stage. He's getting ready for what needs to happen. In every story I've told you through this Old Testament walkthrough, God had planned everything out. He was working through it, and he knew exactly what he was doing. At this period of time, he's not leaving him behind. He's working. But do it in a silent way. In his silence, God was preparing the world for the most important event in all of history. In fact, it would split history in two. So as he gets quiet, and as he deals with the people in a silent way, he's preparing for the most perfect time. The scriptures even say that. That when the time was right, he burst on the scene and was no longer silent. But in a shout, he comes and says, here's my son. What you've wanted, what you've looked for, what you've wanted in flesh and blood, what you wanted in a king, what you wanted in, in someone there, here is my son. And out of 400 years of silence comes Jesus Christ. And he comes to let them know that all that's happened in the last 4,000 years and even further in from the very beginning, before time ever existed, Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelt among us. And as he dwelt among us and lived around and through and with us, he showed us how to live. He showed us what this life is supposed to be like. And yes, this is only temporary. There is a better kingdom that we're waiting on. But while we're here, there are plans for how we are to live. And Jesus Christ showed us that way. So these 77 steps that we've walked through in the Old Testament, it's to get us to this part. There was 400 years of silence. But then there was Christ. Do you know why this is the symbol for Christ? Because of the cross. 
his reason for coming. His reason, reason that God planned back in the beginning was for the cross. He knew that because of our selfishness, our sinfulness, that we would need a savior. We would need some way to be redeemed. We would need a kinsman redeemer. We would need someone to take us and help us out of our estate because we couldn't help ourselves. We needed somebody to help us, and it would be Jesus. And the only way for that to happen was through his death on the cross. But as he died and paid for our sins, made a way out for all of us, the good news is that he didn't stay dead. He rose. And we are in the midst of preparation for the Easter season. Easter will be here in just about four weeks. And we need to be preparing our hearts for that, to celebrate that time, that special time, because that is the most important event in history, and it can affect our lives, it can change our lives. And why do I want to read the Bible? Because I want to find out everything I can about the man who redeemed my life, who is actually God himself. And if that means reading his history from the Old Testament, I want to know all about him. And so... This interest that I hope I've stirred, this curiosity about the Old Testament, is not just to find some great stories, but to find out more about who Jesus really is. So this walkthrough gets us to Christ. Now, I know not all of you have been here the whole time. But if you watch me, you can follow through. We're going to do the whole walkthrough from the very beginning. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and walk through all 77 steps. So you can see the big picture flying 3,000 feet over the Old Testament, looking down and seeing the whole picture so that when you go into the stories, you'll realize, oh, yeah, that's that country we talked about. That, yeah, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, I know that. Yeah, that happened during the time of, what was his name? Oh, yeah, Zerubbabel. Those will put it all together. So, store everything in the compartments below you. Get your hands free. We're going to walk through it. But I want you all to stand up with me. And if you, if you don't know some of this, especially if you weren't here from the beginning, that's okay. Just watch everybody else. But pick up where you, where you can follow in. And we're going to walk through. The whole Old Testament, all 39 books, in about three minutes. Are you ready to do it? All right. Creation, fall, flood. Nations, 4,000 years. Ur, Persian Gulf. Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. Tigris. Euphrates, Haran, Paradise, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean, Israel, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Jews, Egypt, 400 years, bondage, Moses, let my people go, no, 10 plagues, Passover, Red Sea, Mount Sinai, Law, Tabernacle, Levites and Priests, 
offerings and feasts, counting the faces, Kadesh, oases, 12 spies, wanders, dies. Moab, Moses, second law, dies. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide, conquer, south, north, divide, settle. Twelve tribes, judges, 400 years. Deborah, Gideon, Samson, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, except Ruth and Samuel. United Kingdom, 120 years. Saul, no heart. David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart. Divided kingdom, 400 years. North, south. Israel, Judah, 19, 20, 0, 8. Yeah. Prophets speak, shape up or ship out. Assyria, Israel, scatter. Babylonia, Judah, exile, 70 years. Persia, Judah, return. Zerubbabel, temple. Esther, queen. Ezra, people. Nehemiah, walls, 400 years, silence. Christ. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. Good. Stay standing where you are as we end today. Yes, we were able to go through those 77 steps, and they all tie in together to get us to Christ. I hope that there has been a curiosity developed in you. I hope there has been a desire to get more into God's Word, to see what it does mean to you. If that's your, your choice today, would you take this card? Write your name on the tear-off part. Keep this part as a reminder. Use it this week and the next 30 days as a reminder of this. But as we sing our last song, I want you to write your name on that, tear that off, and just come and lay it anywhere up here on this stage as we sing our last song. The last song we're going to sing is You're a Good, Good Father. And that's what this is all about. This is about someone who loves us, cares for us. And he's told us the story of how much he loves us. If you want to read it more and more, then you do that. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing for us here even today. There's a long history that we can look back to and see what you've done and how you saved your people and, and made them an example of how you're going to bless the whole world. And Lord, how you've used that, that plan to bring us Christ himself. So those of us here today that know that and have accepted, Lord, I pray that we would dig deeper into your word to find more about him. But those who don't know Christ as a personal Savior, they haven't experienced this redeeming that we need. Lord, I pray that even now they'll turn to Christ. They'll seek him out, turn their hearts to his, and Lord, accept him for what he's done for them. And as we commit, Lord, you lead us. Use the next 30 days for this church. Use the next 30 days to build us into your scripture. Use the next 30 days to prepare us for our Easter celebration. Use this next 30 days to transform our lives through your written word. It's in Jesus' name I pray.